I think it's um, not just one of my pieces of uh, favorite pieces of music by Kate, but just a favorite piece of music in general. I, mm -hmm. I, I really love this as a piece of music. I find the story behind it very compelling, which we can probably get into. Oh, definitely. Um, I find the, the lyrics fascinating. I find the music and the harmonies very interesting if you try and play them and try and understand them. And I find the arrangement, the kind of orchestration of it really interesting as well, really gripping. And, and it really mm -hmm. helps uh, sell the story and explain the story of the song um, in a very interesting way, I think. This is my, my interpretation of it. Those are the things that really draw me to it. to Strange Phenomena, the music of Kate Bush. I am Cecily Link, and this week we are going to be talking about the third track from Kate Bush's third album, Never Forever, called Blow Away for Bill. So for this week's guest, I got to make a transatlantic call to London to talk with a writer named Alex Dale. Alex Dale found me by a happy accident a couple months ago because he was thinking of doing a Kate Bush podcast as well. And he asked if he could come on the show to talk about one of his absolute favorite songs from Kate and just favorite songs in general. So I was super excited to get to talk with him. And here's what we all had to say about this beautiful song. Hi. <laughs> hey, you can actually see me. <laughs> great to talk to you. How's things? I know. Great to talk to you, too. Thank you so much for taking the time to talk with me about Kate. Yay. Yeah, I'm, I'm really glad that you're doing this project because, as I mentioned to you when I got in touch with you, it was it was an idea that I had toyed with was the idea of reviewing Kate's album one at a time. Uh, but, of course, just life gets in the way and you can't find people to help. And mm. uh, I'm very lazy, you know, so... <laughs> Glad you've, you've, you've actually you're probably doing it better than I could have done, and in more detail. You're actually doing it one song at a time, which is um, very diligent and very impressive. Uh, it's a lot of work, uh, believe yeah. me. Oh my goodness! And what's weird is that I'm actually an introvert by nature, so sure. this project is kind of forcing me to be like, hey, like poke people and actually be a little yeah. more extroverted. <laughs> So, um, blow away. Where shall we start? 
Yes. So, uh, yeah, when, when you contacted me and you had said that you were you really wanted to talk about this song, you said it was mm. one of your favorites. So yes. why is this song one of your favorite Kate songs? That's a, an excellent question. I think it's um, not just one of my pieces of uh, favorite pieces of music by Kate, but just a favorite piece of music in general. I, mm -hmm. I, I really love this as a piece of music. I find the story behind it very compelling, which we can probably get into. Oh, definitely. Um, I find the, the lyrics fascinating. I find the music and the harmonies very interesting if you try and play them and try and understand them. And I find the arrangement, the kind of orchestration of it really interesting as well, really gripping. And, and it really mm -hmm. helps uh, sell the story and explain the story of the song um, in a very interesting way, I think. This is my, my interpretation of it. Those are the things that really draw me to it. Uh, it was, I think, maybe a, a slow burner off, off uh, Never Forever because on if you listen to Never Forever, the stuff that grabs you, well, the stuff that grabs me initially was stuff like Babushka and the, the singles, basically, what you'd expect. Babushka, yeah, sure. Me too. <laughs> like Babushka! And, uh, yeah. <laughs> and uh, all of the, the big drums and the samples and that kind of stuff. Mm. and uh, the, uh, Lots of weird bass and things like that, which I find uh, really fascinating. Or um, uh, breathing is, is also uh, fantastic. Um, but I think Blow Away is, is a really... Um, a really compelling song and a really compelling piece of music. When I first heard this album, I was in France. Because at the okay. time, I, I just turned 21 and I was slowly getting into Kate's music. I had gotten Ariel, and the rest of her music was harder to find. It wasn't even on iTunes in the U.S. I knew it was on the U.K. store, but there's no way. You, you can't If you're in the U.S. store, you can't buy something from the U.K. store because of yes. music rights. And blah, all this yeah, stuff. I have that problem with lots of comedies and stuff like that, or movies oh. and things like that. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Or like, no, this content is not available in your country. Yeah. Mm. Yes. So I waited until I went to France to get more of her music because I knew it would be available there. And it was there that I got Lionheart and Never Forever. Those two albums that I listened to a lot when I was in France. And so when I hear Never Forever, I'm remembering being on the bus, listening to this album as we were driving to Mont Saint-Michel. When I got to this song, I liked it, but it wasn't a favorite. And it mm -hmm. actually really had to grow on me, kind of like it did with you. Like it, it, Yes. I had to just kind of like really look at the lyrics and dissect it. And that's part of why I'm doing this podcast is so I can go yes. back and revisit these things and like, oh, yeah, I actually really like this. So the more I listened to this, I never skipped it, but it was just kind of like, eh, OK, that was nice. Eh, whatever. Okay. <laughs> but I don't know, maybe it's because now I'm older and I've, I've been just digging more into this song that I'm like, hey, I really like this. It, it it reminds me a little bit of like early Sarah Brightman in a way, like back when Sarah okay. Brightman was still kind of doing the musical theater thing, right? Like before Phantom, before she started mm -hmm. doing the more operatic stuff, but when she was, she was, you know, newly married to Andrew Lloyd Webber and he was starting to write some stuff for her and she still had this very pop musical theater vibe to her voice. This reminds me a little bit of er that early Sarah Brightman that I actually really like and wish she would kind of go back to instead of like doing the opera stuff. But that's just me. <laughs> I think that's fair. I, I have to be honest. I'm not that familiar with Sarah Brightman ex outside of Phantom of the Opera. Yeah, and um, a lot of people here too, they're like, oh yeah, 
see that phantom person? It's like, yes, it is. Yeah, sorry, I'm one of those people. Yeah, it's all good. So you mentioned, uh, yes, things that this song reminds you of, traveling through France, I think. Yes. Mm-hmm. I think that's interesting in the eyes particular bits of Kate's music are very reminiscent of particular times for me as well. So I listened to um, The Dreaming a lot when I was about 16 and I was revising for my exams and I had to basically just, you know, cram, uh, not even 16, 18, I think. So I was doing maths, pretty hard maths. And there was something about this kind of metronome, a lot of the... Mm-hmm. that I could just listen to that over and over again and just learn algebra and, and it got me through a lot of stuff but it does mean now that I can't hear that song without having an element of that in my head as well it, it conjures up um, being an 18 year old just studying mathematics repetitively for a long time <laughs> <laughs> actually when I listen to the dreaming I'm reminded of college because that was about college was when I was starting to get into Kate Bush so we're talking like mid 2000s and everything and so when I, I hear the dreaming I'm reminded of listening to it on my iPod in the dorm room like getting into this album and going okay this sounds this is all very strange but I know if I keep listening I'm gonna really like it <laughs> and eventually I did yes that's yeah that's really that's really interesting so that I had a similar experience in that I think the first well it's interesting I'm, I'm always trying to put my finger on when I first heard any kind of Kate's music so the first thing that absolutely grabbed me was in 89 when The Sensual World came out. A, co- a colleague of my mum actually gave me a cassette which had Sensual World on one side and Kick Inside on the other. And then that was it for me then. I was just sold. And funnily enough, it was the Kick Inside that really spoke to me first because I think I must have, well, I must have been 14, I guess. And it's such an adolescent record and it's full mm-hmm. of adolescent and feelings and um, it really spoke to me on that level uh, and it's just all about kind of uh, lust and and desire and you know uh, as you've all of the things that you've discussed uh, and um, some quite heavy stuff as you, as you can only experience when you're an adolescent right right and then essential world is a much more grown-up record and much more sophisticated record I think in term, uh, not sophisticated but yeah maybe it is sophisticated more complex maybe more adult I think is probably the best way mm-hmm. of describing it but it's not like adult contemporary. It feels no, like no, no, no. it's it's got complicated relationships and things like that in it. Yes, absolutely. And it's not. I mean, that's that's something that I would listen to again. Studying. I, I besides doing mathematics, I did uh, art as well. Okay. Lots of lots of painting. So I'd be sitting there with headphones on. Uh, just painting away and I'd be listening to uh, Rocket's Tale or something or uh, <clears throat> what else is on there? Love and Anger. And that's another song. I think that's that's like my blow away and that, that took a long time to grow on me as well. It really mm-hmm. snuck up on me and crept up on me and that when I first heard it, I thought, oh, this is, there's nothing there. There's no substance to it. But then when you hear it a few times, there's something, this is like a lot of the music as I'm sure you've had this experience. Something just kind of falls into, spa- into place. Yep. And that kind of coin falls through the machine and you think, suddenly it all falls out in front of you and you think, that's it, I understand exactly what this is now. The 
the story behind it, which I'm sure uh, it was written as a tribute to Kate's uh, lighting engineer, Bill Duffield, which I think is uh, obviously a very tragic occurrence. Because it's my understanding that what happened was that it was like the day before the tour was supposed to start and he was going around doing like last minute checks to make sure everything was all closed up. And there was a, a latch in the floor that was loose and he couldn't see in the dark and he fell through and fell to his death, if I'm understanding. Okay. That's, that's, that's my understanding as well. And uh, yeah, I mean, that's, that's pretty horrible. They, apparently they call it the idiot check as you go around and do the final check of checks of all things, mm-hmm. uh, which is an expression I, I use myself for a lot of things now, which is <laughs> maybe not the takeaway of the story, but it's, it's just an interesting uh, mm-hmm. aside, I think. It's a very interesting song. Well, one of the things that appeals to me about Kate, she can really make you consider uh, kind of stuff that uh, is outside of your comfort zone. I'm not a particularly religious person, and I, I don't particularly have any kind of faith or belief in the afterlife. But this whole song is about the afterlife. And I can understand better the appeal of the afterlife and having that kind of faith, um, wanting to believe that, that your your soul or your spirit is going to carry on. Uh, mm-hmm. And I can see how comforting that is as an idea uh, because of this song. And this song really helped me understand that. I think she's really good at, at exactly that kind of thing, taking unusual ideas or ideas that maybe you're not entirely comfortable with and really making you think about them. And it's almost like a weird kind of humanism, I always think. It's like nothing human is alien to me. You can really see that she's trying to understand people constantly and trying to tell their stories. I don't know if you've got to the, the infant kiss yet off the blow away, but off, um, never forever, but uh, that's going to be mm-hmm. an interesting one to talk about from that point of view. Yeah, because actually the, for that one, honestly, I don't have much personal connection to that song <laughs> other than, sure. oh, she did a French version. Ooh, I get to hear her <laughs> sing in French. And of course, I'm a yes. Francophile. I'm like, ooh, hey. Oh, yes. And she actually sings it pretty, really well in French, which is really, really cool. But you're all right that she does take this idea of the afterlife. And I, I find it interesting for me about the song that she seems to do it in almost a lighthearted sounding way. Yes. It's not a dirge by any means. It's not like, yeah. blah, blah. it's more like, <laughs> yay, woohoo, happy. It almost yes, has like yes. a Broadway kind of feel to it, especially the way she sings it. Absolutely. And I think that's one of the things that's quite charming about it is that because I think it's one of this kind of central planks of the song is that death is nothing to be scared of, nothing to be afraid of. Why not have fun with it almost? When the time comes, you'll be in heaven. And um, in the case of a sound engineer, you'll be surrounded by people who are in famous bands, famous musicians, and you'll be having the time of your life. I think one of the things that I do find fascinating about this is that connection between music and the life and the soul. And they're almost interchangeable in the song from the get-go, in that she says, music is all that he's got in his life. So it's almost like music and life are the same thing up to a point. When somebody dies, the, the soul is gone and, and also the music is gone as well at the same time. And how do we, how do we cope with that? Uh, we are still left here with this absence. Uh, and it is a it is a great comfort to imagine that the the music is carrying on in a better place where it's unearthly. Uh, I'm really not. Uh, I don't feel like I'm selling this very well actually. I, I, it's funny. I thought about this a lot, and I feel like I'm not actually describing it very well on the spot. Anyway. Well, no, actually, I've always kind of thought, oh, Janis Joplin, she's up there singing her bluesy thing with all with all the other female musicians of the time or things like like, I always check like to imagine that we don't know what happens in the afterlife I mean we've got all these other religions that say oh x is going to happen I'm a Christian so Christianity this is supposed to happen in Buddhism they say it's this is blah 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 we don't know nobody's come back to tell us 
Or have they? Well, this is the next question of the song, isn't it? In that it's, mm. it's about coming back from nearly dying. This is, I think, something that, of course, would appeal to Kate very much. I have the impression that she's she's very, uh, I hate to say spiritual because it's such a cliche, but I think she's very interested in the idea of what constitutes a human soul and a human spirit. Mm-hmm. Uh, the, the next line in the song is, is the engineer has a different idea from people who nearly died but survived. So mm. this is about near-death experiences, people who die on the operating table, and they come back having reported seeing a long bright corridor is a very typical thing that mm-hmm. people Oh, there's uh, there's actually a book that was published a couple of years ago. I can't remember the name off the top of my head. It was like Nine Minutes in Heaven. And it was this it was a it was sold in all the Christian bookstores and at the the place where I work. And it was about this little kid who had an operation and then he died. And the book is all about what he remembers for like the nine minutes that he was in heaven. I think yeah. it was called Nine Minutes in Heaven, something like that. But yeah, like, yeah, the near death ex- yes. yes, coming back. So I find that really, really compelling. And the way she, she plays with that idea, she makes it sound, as you say, quite a cheerful, actually a weirdly cheerful experience. Yes. <laughs> quite, quite, quite upbeat. kind of habit of doing that though like of doing sometimes very dark topics in a light-hearted way and especially on the song that comes after this on all we ever look for yes like that's all da, 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 you know <laughs> and yet it's like if you really listen to the lyrics it's like this is kind of dark but then i, I like that i like the, like the contrast that it's it's something sad but it doesn't sound sad yes it's a very, um, very Smiths thing to do as well, actually. Oh, yes. Oh, yeah. Oh, I was so into so, the Smiths when I was in high school. I was like, oh, yes. yes. That, that fits, yes. So, you know, the, the Johnny Marr guitar is happy and the Morrissey lyrics are sad. One of the things, well, I think the two other things, actually, one of them is the, is um, Kate always, not always, but is a storyteller, as I'm sure you've, uh, I think I've heard you talk about a lot. Mm-hmm. She assume, assumes a persona and she explains a story through a persona. But one of the things that I find interesting about the song is that the persona switches, I think, or at least who, who is telling the story of the song switches. Oh, okay, let me pull up the lyrics. Okay. Well, in the... Um, yeah. One of one of the band told me last night that music is all that he's got in his life. So it's it sounds to me that it's quite a personal song about her talking, recounting this. But then the refrain is, "Please don't thump me, don't bump me." Yeah. So who's, who is that voice? Is that that can't be the same as the narrator, right? And a thought occurred to me as well that "Please don't thump me, don't bump me." Obviously, it's about how hard it must be to be dragged back down to earth after having this celestial experience but i wondered for a moment if it was almost more like something more earthly like just cpr or something like that thumping Mm. and bumping just being being pounded on someone's trying to bring you back 
Mm-hmm. Like a brutal, quite a, a visceral image, I think. kind of been confused by that line those lines to be honest because it i felt like once the song was starting to go one way and then suddenly goes to the please don't thump me. i'm kind of like what do you don't, mean don't. by thumpy what huh yes yes <laughs> yes and and that's and that points to that's exactly the the strange switch here is that suddenly the the point of view of the song changes i think mm-hmm. please don't thump me don't bump me so it's almost like she's become the 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 dying the dying man maybe yeah. Or, or she, just any song. She does have a habit of switching personas within a song, which is interesting to me because as a songwriter myself, or, or I'm in a local songwriter group and we, we get together once a month and we share songs. And what gets critiqued a lot are times when people are doing a song where they're switching between I and you. Okay. And like switching personas and they go, no, you should keep it consistent as to who's talking. I personally find it more interesting when you do switch personas. And of course she does, she also does this in night at the swallow because that's all like a whole dialogue there. And you have to really kind of look at the lyrics to be able to realize, Oh, wait a minute. This is a dialogue between two people. It took me a second there to remember the lyrics, but yes. So it's the dialogue between the, presumably the wife or the the partner, the girlfriend, and then the thief, I think, or the the criminal Mm -hmm. of some kind. Yeah. Yeah. Oh yes. Interesting. And I'm, I'm now casting about and trying to think of other songs that probably do oh, that too. Wow. Because in that whole age, like she's talking like about a guy and then, but in the first part of the song, it's, you know, we're, we're all, all alone on the stage. Yes. It's like, oh, she's making herself part of these people. Like, you know, I'm going to get it. I'm going to get it. Or whatever that song is from yes. Chorus Line. Oh, yeah. <laughs> They're all God, like, I hope I get it. Yes. I hope I get it. Because <laughs> that t- first part of the song totally makes me think of that. Yes. Yeah, she does have a habit of like switching different personas, and I I like that about her music. I like that she she does something different. Absolutely, yes, it, and it is it is storytelling, and it's not personal. Um, so there's I think there's a not a risk exactly, but there's a temptation to try and imagine her uh, trying to read between the lines and imagine that it's about her life directly, and probably very often it isn't. It's just her trying to find an interesting idea and 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 communicate that. That said, I mean, I do wonder about this because I find a lot of songs, a lot of the themes that she touches on are always about the difficulties of communication as well, I always find. That's a very common mm. theme that comes up a lot as well. And also like gender relations. Yeah. Like Anything men and women fine. trying. I yeah. guess kind of going with the communication, like men and women trying to understand each other. Like, I mean, running up that hill, love and anger, and multitudinous yes. other things. Yes, exactly that. Put out the light and put out the light. That oh, was yeah. the other thing. That, yeah, because I'm I would sure not everybody have known. I would not have known that reference because um, we, when we read Shakespeare in in high school, it was uh, we did Romeo and Juliet, Macbeth, Hamlet, and that was it. But that was I yes. just did regular English. Now in the AP English class, the advanced placement English classes, 
they I think might have done Othello and I think they might have also done Twelfth Night and a couple others that we never did or Midsummer Night's Dream. I actually my husband read that for college, but I would not have known that reference without that little no. quote. <laughs> well, to be absolutely honest, neither would I. No, I can't pretend that I'm that well versed in Shakespeare, but I think that is that's typical Kate showing her book smarts. You know, she's uh, yeah. she's obviously very well read. And I think it's it's such a an apposite. I think that's another thing that she does that she's very good at and very clever at is taking very very high culture, as she did with Wuthering Heights, of course, and kind of recontextualizing it, remolding it, refashioning it, and making something very strange and interesting out of it. Um, but I think, in particular, the contents of that line um, very much, I think, um, helps to. It's another one of those key lines in the song in that it's. In the context of the play, Othello is about to murder Desdemona, so he, but he can't bring himself to do it in the light of a candle. He has to put the candle out first because of what he's oh. about to do is so dreadful. So that's put out the light number one, but then put out the light number two is the act of killing Desdemona, so he's putting out her light. Um, and that, I think, is, 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 is yeah, it's a very um, telling demonstration of what the song is about in that it's about permanence and transience you can bring the candle back but you can't bring back the light of a soul you can't bring that back not in this world anyway um and i th i think it's uh, incredible of her to be able to know that quote and then recontextualize it set it to music and sell it as her own and 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 almost throw it away in this whimsical way and and, and um, in the way that she did with Alto James Joyce, all of those kind of li li kind of um, uh, liter literary references that she reaches for very easily, I think it's just oh, like my f or like in cloud busting. I mean, that whole yes. thing is just heard from the point of view of Peter Reich's uh, yes. Peter Reich. So yeah, and who would know, right? She just takes stuff and makes it her own. I think the other big thing for me is uh, the music itself. Now, I believe you're also a musician, uh, songwriter. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yep. So if you ever look at the score, the, the sheet music for this piece of music, do you have it ready? Yes. Yep. Excellent. I actually I, have it right here. <laughs> oh, that's great. You've come prepared. Okay. I found, well, I found this book. I know the viewers or listeners can't see this, yes. but this is the Cape, complete Kate Bush well, as of like right before the Central World was released, so it's it's got you know no no Fuipa and all the big sky like mm -hmm. here the big sky, yeah for for in here they've got just the vocal line and um, like the the guitar chords and stuff over okay. it. Okay, let me see now. Okay, the reception's a little crackly. Yes, so ah, but it's enough. It's enough. Yeah, I I think that's the version that I have. So I have a smaller pocket version of a lot of her songs up until oh, cool. about. I, it looks like maybe it's the same edition, but maybe with a different cover and maybe in a different scale. I'm not sure. It's, so it goes up. Yeah, I think it's with some it sort of eighty-six. Like uh, it's got some sort of like import or something because it has the in it has the table of contents in the back, which is something I've oh. only ever seen in French books. I okay. know it's weird. <laughs> I've not seen that before. No. Yeah, this is in. Um, it's got four. Sh it's got five sharps, so it would usually be that would usually be B major, but of course. 
with Kate, she'll have chords against each other. And I've talked about this in other episodes. Yes. She'll have chords near each other that you're kind of, they, they sound a little off because she's not following like your strict one, four, five, one, minor third kind of like <laughs> a lot of pop songs or like the 50s yes. progression where it's like C, A minor, F, G. You have that progression. You can play Earth Angel and all these other 50 songs. It's a four-chord song, indeed, yes. Now, this is not a four-chord song. She also switches between different time signatures, too. Yes. This is bananas, this song, I think, and yeah. in a good way. Because she, she goes, you know, well, for one of the band, that that's in 2-4, then it switches to 4-4, four, four, then it goes back to 2-4, then 4-4, four, four, and then the, the music is all that he's got in his life goes from 3-4 to 4-4. Four, four. Yes. Told me last night that music is all that he's got in his life. Yes. So there's no rhythmic home here at all. Mm-hmm. And the, the chords, um, let me think now, I'm, I'm picturing them in my head. It's, it's E flat, it's E major seven, I think, and then up yep. to something or other. But the bass and the, 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 the I think the key thing for me are the, the two features. Uh, firstly, the the bass and the chord on top very rarely match up, which gives it this really mm-hmm. un- unstable quality. It's really you're never sure of where you are hom- harmonically speaking. Yeah. And and then the other thing that I find really interesting is that it seems to start and end in a different harmonic home as well. Mm-hmm. So it, it it starts on this E major seven, but ends on an A well either a G sharp major or an A flat major, depending on how you want to. Probably G sharp if you want to be accurate. It resolves on this. Which is very beautiful, and the strings are playing. But um, those keys actually have very little to do with one another, harmonically speaking. They're quite disconnected. It's enharmonic, I guess, would be the name for it. So the, the, yes. See that? Yeah. <laughs> and i'll probably oh. end up like putting in a like a better version like a midi of me doing that so the sound is better <laughs> but yeah it it does it revolves it resolves on g sharp which is totally not something you would usually have in b major which is i mean she, she's got the five sharps there so it would be b major but it's usually like in b major it's supposed to be g sharp g sharp minor yeah. rather yes. than rather than g sharp major so So I think that is, that's part and parcel of the story of the song in that it's about starting in one place and ending in a connected but separate place. And I yeah. think you can, I don't know how conscious that is as a choice. I don't think it's calculated in that. It, I've made it sound very pat, but I don't think she would have thought of it that way. It just seems like the right thing to do. But I think that's because she's in tune with the piano and in tune mm-hmm. with the music and in tune with the chords that she she understands that this that progression there is about moving from one place to another place. And that that's entirely telling the story of the, the lyrics, but in a different way. And I think that's one of the things that really speaks to me about this piece of music. Mm-hmm. Well, it's also certainly something that speaks to me just about her music in general is that she doesn't follow the strict chord pop chord progressions because she, she's not pop. 
I think she was marketed to be pop, but at the root of it, her 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 roots are Celtic and folk and like unusual things. Like you you don't. I mean, I'm sure she listened yep. to the Beatles and all the other pop music of the time, but that's not. She's not going. Oh yeah, I want to be like mainstream pop star. She's just like I said, the piano and just whatever comes out comes out. And hey, this sounds cool. And I know she doesn't read music. Um, there, I've actually got. I found a quote from her. I'll have to pull it up, or maybe I'll kind of like put this in when I'm editing. <laughs> that she actually doesn't read sheet music. She just has that. like okay. the chord. She'll like write the music. She'll write the lyrics and then put the chords above them, which is totally something I do. Like I can. Okay. I don't. I just play by ear as well. So like I feel like, hey Kate, woohoo! I'm like that too. <laughs> Yay. I just kind of go with the feeling of it, and even if it sounds a little off, well, if it goes with the song, I think that's more important. Yes, absolutely. I think that that's that's the that's the thing. That's the key is is um, trusting your your instinct. I think on this one, I think you're absolutely right in that she's not pop at all. And I think even the 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 kick inside is very interesting in that she they kind of set out the stall from the word go and in, in from moving follows a very trad downward progression d c b flat but then it suddenly goes very weird all of a sudden and there's an e in there and then it goes down again and it goes down and it keeps going down and down and down and already the rug is pulled from underneath you and mm -hmm. that's just something she'll do over and over and over again and um which i absolutely love i think it's brilliant i, think it's, I don't know whether it's uh, whether it's a choice or whether it's an intuition or how she gets there but but um i think it's fantastic one of those kind of ticks that kate has i think um that first could potentially be quite irritating is she has she does have all the verbal ticks like the kind of yee -hee, all of this kind of you know yeah very extreme uh what would you call interval she'll sing very dramatic intervals a lot of very quickly very different kinds of intonations she'll use a head voice a chest voice and a very nasal voice depending on the persona that she wants she's not afraid to what's the one uh oh goodness me Homeground. Yes, that's it. Thank you. My goodness. <laughs> I'm starting to lose the titles. Yeah, so uh, she adopts this ridiculous German persona here, but kind of once you get on board with it, it's fantastic, but you have mm. to make that leap of faith, I think. That's what it is about her that I find really interesting. That's another thing that I find very interesting about her is you really do have to just say, uh, there's no halfway. You have to just say, yeah, I'm, I'm going to go on this trip with you and if, if you accept it and kind of yes and it and then it becomes very meaningful and a lot of those things that were initially kind of potentially off-putting or irritating make a whole lot of sense suddenly and it is that things rearrange that was yes so one of the things that i find interesting about blow away in particular is she is her own backing vocalist as she is a lot of the time on a lot of her songs um and i wanted to, one of the projects that i wanted to set for myself was she does this thing um where she'll basically just scream a very high note in the background and she does it on uh, Joni as well just mm -hmm. in, in the background and it's very distant but at the same time so obviously it's very back in the mix but in the room it must be very loud and very present and she does this huge in blow away she does this huge swoop from this very high um I think uh F sharp or G sharp down to like a seventh leap downwards, he goes, ah, ah. Mm -hmm. and it's a, such a trick to pull off. If you try and sing that, it's phenomenal just to hit that high and then be able to switch and turn it around very quickly. And I find that when I listen to that, it, it gives me goosebumps. It makes my hair stand on it. It's doing it, it's doing it now, just thinking about it weirdly. And that's one of the things that I, 
that this song in particular has lots of that in it, that kind of goosebumpy for me, this kind of very mm-hmm. goosebumpy. I find the string arrangement adds to that as well a lot and the relationship between how the bass is moving around uh, underneath the chords and never quite agreeing with the chords until it resolves at the end and the, and the bass and the chords are finally in the same place and, and there's that kind of rest and resolution and peacefulness which, which as I say, I think is, is really helping to tell that story about moving from one place to another, moving from a, from a, a profane place to a sacred place or however you choose to interpret that. I think that's, that's one of the key things about this song that makes it always fresh and interesting for me to listen to. And- The list of rock stars, yeah, dead rock stars is quite. Oh impressive. yeah, it, Mini, and Mini Ripperton. So we got I'm yeah, we got Minnie Ripperton, which I find an interesting inclusion because she too was you known for singing really high. Yes. Because um, I know Maya Rudolph, uh, the actress Maya Rudolph, who I know from Away We Go and a bunch of other, um, Bridesmaids and a couple other movies, she was SNL. in. Yeah. Um, oh right, and yeah, also SNL. Forgot about that. I actually don't watch SNL very much. But, um, but she, uh, <laughs> she was actually. Good American, I. <laughs> I know. I'm just like I don't drink coffee and I don't watch SNL. What's wrong with me? <laughs> um, but also, she was actually in the studio. Funny little fact: she was actually in the studio when her mom was recording that song. And there's a part at the very end when it starts to fade out where she, where Minnie is singing something like me, 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 kind of stuff. She's actually singing to her daughter because uh, Maya was on the floor playing around and she was just like, ah, me, 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 me. She was like singing to her daughter. That's nice. It's it's um, rock star royalty. It's always, yeah. it's like um, Kate and Bertie, I guess, a little. Mm-hmm. In that, uh, as soon as they can sing, get them on the record, or maybe beforehand. I don't know. And then, or like Tor, I know one of my favorites, Tori Amos. She sings with her daughter. On... I did not know that. Okay. Yeah, she in a couple of her most recent albums, she at least has one song where she sings with her daughter, and you can tell her daughter's like, yeah, I can tell where you came from. You sound a little like your mom. <laughs> but uh, yeah, she's got yeah. Minnie Ripperton, who yeah was known for "Loving You," that super high song. I'm not going to do it because I'm not a color guitar. I don't sing it. <laughs> Yeah, and like you said, like Sid Vicious, I forgot about Sid Vicious with the Sex Pistols, Buddy Holly. Yeah. I'm suddenly thinking of the, uh, yeah, I look like just like Buddy Holly. Kind of song in my head. <laughs> um, and Sandy Denny, I had to look her up because she never charted here. I'd vaguely yes. heard of her before, but she never was popular in the U.S. I understand she was more popular on your end of the pond. 
I believe I? so. I, I'm also, I have to hold my hand up and say I'm not that familiar with Sunday Denny. Um, I was looking her up beforehand and she used to be the lead singer of Fairport Convention. And I have actually seen Fairport Convention live, but I didn't realise there was a connection there with her and Sandy Denny. Mm -hmm. So I'm something of an armchair folk fan. Um, my knowledge is not very deep on that, on that front. <clears throat> Excuse me. I'm trying to think who else is in Mini Rish. Uh, Mini, 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 Mini Vicious. Oh, yeah, Connie. Mooney. Yeah. Who, do you know who Keith Mooney Moon. is? Oh, right, it's... that's Keith Moon. Yes. <laughs> I just remember seeing the clips of him on VH when they were talking about like rock stars and him destroying the drum set. The, the, the listeners can't see your drumming, which is spectacular. <laughs> yeah. I'm not a drummer. I'm a pianist. There you go. <laughs> Bolin, uh, Mark Bolin, who was T-Rex. Yes. Is then like bang a gong, get it on. Yep. Yeah, there's some quotes. I know she she's talked a little bit about this song. Like, um, basically, she says, uh, "Blow away is a comfort." For the fear of dying, and for those of us who believe that music is perhaps an exception to the never forever rule. That's interesting. I've not heard her say that. And the never, oh, what is the never forever rule, I wonder? Oh, the never forever rule, if I'm understanding, is that nothing, everything that happens to you is transient, like nothing is permanent. This makes a lot of sense, yes. So the music endures, yeah. Mm-hmm. So this is exactly the point, I think, is that the, the music carries on one yep. way or another, either Even in this life death. or the next. Yes. And then um, she also says here, this is something from, I think, Record Mirror. Yeah, because it says RM. Uh, so there's comfort for the guy in my band is when he dies, he'll go, hi, Jimmy. It's very tongue in cheek, but it's a great thought that if a musician dies, his soul will join all the other musicians and a poet will join all the Dylan Thomases and all that. There you go. Yeah tongue-in-cheek as well that's the mm -hmm. other key part of this as well is this very frothy i think very not flippant exactly but um not sad yes yeah. i think a uh, melancholy may be thoughtful but it's mm -hmm. not tragic because it it shouldn't be sad it's, it's it's the continuation of something we can we commemorate the memory and uh, and the music carries on it's the exception to the never forever rule that's very yeah. beautiful I did in preparation for this uh, episode is I tried to find any kind of demo versions or cover versions because I know that's one of the things we like to do. Um, and there is a very good demo version of this mm -hmm. on YouTube. Uh, and I think it's very informative, I think, in that she, the arrangements gets better and lusher in the finished version, but also she tweaks some of the lyrics, I think it's very interesting. So that line in particular, people who nearly died but survived, in the demo version, she sings, I think, from people who had temporarily died, yeah. which is so clunky. And it really you, is. <laughs> uh, as a piece of kind of scansion, it's just very awkward. And you can see why she would switch out that at a later date. Mm -hmm. Because if you say people who nearly died but survived, you can hit the, the two opposites, which are the key poles of the song, the dying and the surviving. Um, yeah. And you can hit 
hard. To me, that's a nice little insight into what she must have been thinking. You know, you can only surmise so much, I think, but you can tie, you can kind of see sometimes from the demos, the choices that she makes, um, the refinements that she makes. And it's usually about making lyrics um, simpler and more obvious, I tend to find, being a good example of that. And all Also, she added in um, the vibe, the the verse about the vibes in the sky invite you to dine. Yes. That wasn't in the demo version. I actually was just listening to it right before we started. Yes. Yeah. And she just goes back and repeats the first verse. Yeah. There's nothing in the thing about the vibes in the sky. And I love that line of the vibes in the sky. Mm. Well, I think I think that is key to the whole song. Uh, I think vibes is like a very Kate Bush word because it's like vibrations, cosmic vibrations. Mm. Or vibes as in an atmosphere of a piece of music mm. or I think in this song I think it's a very specific thing which is like a vibraphone it's actually a, a musical instrument oh, which yeah. gets, gets um, shortened to vibes who's on the vibes you know mm-hmm. so I can imagine like a jazz cocktail band uh, in in the some kind of heavenly waiting room just playing very gentle background music and these vibes are inviting you to come and spend time and it's a welcoming and soothing experience as you wait in the antechamber in this room full of visitors. Mm-hmm. And I think I think the, the, the way the song is orchestrated really helps to tell that story because um, there's a piano, there's a bass, there's strings, but there's also an electric piano in there, which I think is playing the part of the vibraphone in this song. This is my take on this anyway. Mm. So the, the reason why I, I think that, and I'm, I, I may be clutching at straws, but I, I like to think there's more to it than this, is that when you listen to it on stereo or stereo headphones, the vibrato on the electric piano wobbles backwards and forwards between the two headphones. Hmm. So it's got this, mm-hmm. and it goes from left to right, left to right, right. So it's making this space around you and around your head, which is it's the vibe. Those are the vibes in the sky, I think. So it's making this, it's surrounding you in the, in the sky. I, I find that it's a very, I think, a very sensitive choice and a very interesting choice. Uh, it's a very um, clever way of. Uh, helping tell this of this kind of heavenly band and one of the funny things about that line vibes in the sky invite you to dine is that for a long time I misheard it as well I thought it was vibes in the sky invite you to die me too well, I, thought, I thought it was much darker I thought it was like death wish mm-hmm. I have to admit fairly recently when I um, thought I'd love to talk about this song that I read the lyrics properly and I thought vibes in the sky invite you to dine doesn't make quite the same sense anymore that I always thought it did but mm-hmm. at the same time what is that? It's like um, the idea of a room full of visitors. It feels like a waiting room. It's an antechamber, some kind of, you're almost going to see St. Peter, but maybe not. I don't know. What, what are your thoughts on this? I'm guessing like like dying, like, oh, we're, we're, we're going to have like this 
big long table where everybody is all together and eating dinner and just like kind of living their lives as they would on earth but living them in the afterlife if that makes any sense okay it does so you you, you made me imagine almost the last supper yes. but like a heaven, heavenly version of this yeah like yeah. everybody's all sitting around there and you get you know janice joplin's there and she's cooking she's cutting into her chicken and then we yeah. get I'm looking at the lyrics here. We get like uh, we get Keith Moon, and he's he's like using his drumsticks, like, brrr, and then maybe he goes and he destroys his plate because that's what he used to do. So there's one thing that I forgot to mention as I was uh, talking with um, Alex, and that is that this song was actually performed live by Kate on November 18th, 1979 to celebrate 50 years of the London Symphony Orchestra. This was done at the Royal Albert Hall. There are pictures of her performing this song. And unfortunately, though, no recordings exist of her performing this song, which is just too bad because I would love to have heard her doing this live but it is worth noting that she did perform this live even if there are no recordings of it sadly no oh wow well great I've had a, a fantastic time mm-hmm. um I look forward to hearing the the, the re-edit, and uh, I look forward to hearing uh, lots of the other episodes as well. I'm really enjoying every, every one of these so far. Oh, thank you. I'm glad you're enjoying it. It's a lot of work that goes into these, but I enjoy it. I really do. I think, I think people out there are really digging it. Uh, where can people find you for like your Twitter handle if they agree with what you said? Oh, my goodness, yes. I, uh, let's see if I get any flack for this. So my Twitter handle is at uh, typophoto, which is a very old graphic design uh, handle of mine, T-Y-P-O-F-O-T-O. Uh, to be absolutely honest, I don't really go on Twitter very much because it's, it's not very pleasant anymore. But uh, if you do care to tweet at me one way or the other, do you agree or disagree, that's where you can find me. All right, cool. All right, well, thank you so much for, for being on the show and uh, talking with me today about uh, Blow Away. It was absolutely my pleasure. If you have a favorite Kate Bush song or a couple of songs that you would love to chat about on a future episode, or if you know something about this week's song that we didn't get to as we were talking about Blow Away, or you just feel like chatting with somebody about Kate Bush, you can find me on Twitter at StrangeKateCast, on Facebook, facebook.com slash Kate Bush Podcast, and also on the web at KB cast.linkmedia.com that's link with an e you can also email me kbcast at linkmedia.com we will see everybody next week for a discussion of a very underrated song the fourth track from never forever called all we ever look for see everybody next week well one of the things that i think would be 
worth dwelling on if you haven't already or maybe will become apparent as you talk to different people is is i think there's a very interesting arc in the way her songs develop over time in that it starts off very harmonic particularly in the early albums mm-hmm. and then she, when she buys the drum machine for never forever or maybe sat in your lap the harmonies actually become quite pared back and relatively simple i think uh, and it becomes much more rhythmic. And if you try and play songs off um, Sensual World, it's very hard to actually find a coherent chord in some of those. It's just the same kind of F, B, flat, C, very open, very ambiguous. And it's only with some of her more recent piano-based stuff that I think she's almost kind of come back to this very harmonic way of writing. So a lot of mm-hmm. the 50 Words for Snow has much more recognizable chords in there. It's less rhythm-orientated. It's less drum machine-driven. It's not necessarily a good or bad thing. It's just a really fascinating thing to see happen over the course of that music and how it changes over time. And I'm sure it's not a hard and fast rule either. I'm sure there's exceptions to that. But that's just a, a curious arc that I can see kind of a thread that goes through a lot of her stuff. Well, and I know certainly on this album, I'm going to be talking a lot about her getting involved a little bit with the Fairlight and how that's starting mm. to slowly change her music. You can tell by the time you get to the Dreaming that, yeah, she's been hanging out with Peter Gabriel. For sure. <laughs> oh, yeah. <laughs> yes, I think thereby hangs a tale, yes. Yeah. <clears throat> and of course, for those songs, um, the, the songs that she ended up doing with Peter Gabriel, like Games Without Frontiers and uh, No Self-Control, my husband is a Peter Gabriel fan, so it's going to be like, okay. hey, honey, we're going to come up here and we're going to talk about this song. <laughs> <laughs> I'm also a Peter Gabriel fan, but not nearly as much as I am a Kate Bush fan, that's for sure. Mm, um, kind of same here. But. Yeah. It's hard to argue with Sledgehammer, I think. I think that's, uh, that's a dance floor classic, I think. Oh yeah, that always goes down well whenever when somebody if somebody pulls that out at karaoke, like even here it's like, <laughs> oh yeah, they're like, oh yeah, that's that sledgehammer song. <laughs> Mark Bolin, who was T Rex. Yes. Is then like bang a gong, get it on. Yep. And who? Um, well, here's some more uh, very tangential trivia. But he died um, in a Mini Cooper accident. Fairly close to where I live, actually, down the road. Oh. Um, so I, I live in uh, Putney in London, and he died in Barnes, which is just a little bit further down the river. And this is even more tangential. Between um, my house and his um, crash site is the Half Moon in Putney, which is one of Kate's early um, venues. Mm-hmm. Where, where I'm going to... This is terrible name dropping now, but I have actually performed on stage at the Half Moon as well. Ooh, is, and how was it? terrifying oh really <laughs> so i yes um t- speaking of out-of-body experiences there was one for you so um my work colleagues and i had a a covers band for a, a few w- weeks basically so we were terribly under rehearsed and um we had a, a connection at the pub and we just managed to get on stage and we banged out a few cover versions nothing of kate's unfortunately but i, I think in during the rehearsal or warm-up i must have played babushka or something just because I was there and I knew it was, it was a significance. You can't pass mm-hmm. up an opportunity to, to, to try something out. And there's a nice big picture of her on the wall. Of course, they're going to cash in on that. And, of course. <laughs> oh, I should, pay tribute, I should say, not cash in. That sounds very cynical. It's NFL draft season, and that means it's time to start thinking about fantasy football. 
FantasyPoints.com features industry-leading experts and prognosticators using proprietary hand-charted data to help you score more fantasy points. FantasyPoints.com is the place to go for whatever kind of fantasy football you play. Whether you play fantasy football, daily fantasy sports, or do a little bit of everything, Fantasy Points has the meticulously researched content to guide you to victory. And why wait for the fall? Fantasy Points also covers the new spring football league, the UFL. Join the guru, John Hansen, Scott Barrett, Joe Dolan, and other massive names in the fantasy football universe with an exclusive offer. Use code Pantheon for 15% off any Fantasy Points package, including the all-in package, with access to every article, tool, and data nugget that Fantasy Points has to offer. That's FantasyPoints.com and code Pantheon for 15% off at Fantasy Points. FantasyPoints.com, code Pantheon. Score more Fantasy Points. 